Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church, Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another, and impacting the world. But turn with me now to Exodus 20 and still continuing in the commandments. I discovered in my preparation this week that this next commandment, the fourth commandment, we probably could spend weeks. So forgive me for not dealing with everything in this commandment today. There are so many questions, uh, so many, I think, issues of elaboration and explanation, but I've tried to keep it focused and do trust that it will be of some help and benefit uh, to us. But let's read then from verse 20, at this chapter 20, verse 1, and God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me And keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And then from verse 8, this is what we're going to consider today. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, You shall not do any work, you, your own son, your daughters, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Lord, as we come this morning to this passage of scripture that Uh, speaks, Lord, uh, a word from you to us in very practical ways. Pray that you would help me, Lord, to speak uh, clearly and simply and truthfully, reflecting, Lord, the uh, words and the truth that you have revealed to us in this commandment as we pray, Lord, for each of the commandments. And so help us today, Lord, as we continue to learn and just grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I want to begin by just reflecting a little bit back in my own life and confess that as a boy, Sunday was not my favorite day. Didn't like Sundays. And I'll give you some reasons. Saturday was a wonderful day. It was the end of the school week, and there was opportunity. I was a person who loved to be with my dad in the workshop, making things and and doing things, building things. It was a day, other times also my dad and I, we loved to go fishing. And we did lots of fishing in many years, in the years when I was growing up. And then as I became, I think, a younger teenager, uh, being with friends, Saturday Saturday was really great. We, in fact, I used to play in a soccer league and uh, uh, spent Saturday. Saturday was just great. Uh, 
those who are younger will not remember, but certainly growing up in Joburg, Saturday night was drive-in night. And if you lived in Joburg, there were many options. There was the Top Star drive-in, there was the Baraguanath drive-in, and there was the, uh, what was the other one, the Panorama drive-in. So we had lots of opportunities to keep busy on a Saturday. Sunday was boring. Didn't like Sundays growing up. Facing old and what I thought in those days, half-blind Mr. Richards. He was my Sunday school teacher. None of us boys paid any attention to him as he rambled on for the full hour of Sunday school. Fortunately, my family, we didn't go to church so often. My dad read the newspaper while we were at Sunday school. At least I didn't have to face the long sermons of the Reverend Tommy Wilson of the Rosettenville Baptist Church. At home, Sundays were really not better. My mom and dad would take a nap after lunch. And in all honesty, I think we kids, there were four of us, were bored with nothing to do. So different. Saturday, Sunday. I think all of you, and I've heard some stories from different people, different contexts have been raised. You have your stories to tell about your history with Sundays. Some of you were raised and grew up in a context where you could simply do whatever you pleased. Sunday was no different to any other day. Others of you were very restricted to minimal activity and also strict rules. So this, this issue is, is, a, is an issue that affects and has affected and will affect any one of us going into the future. So my first point this morning is, what do we do then with the fourth commandment? How do we understand it? How do we apply it? Now, I, I have been preaching and will be preaching, God willing, through the rest of these commandments. And, and I think it's quite easy to come to terms and understand uh, that we ought not to take the life of somebody, that we shouldn't kill anybody. I think most of us Christians understand that we shouldn't be stealing from other people. That's understood and, and, and practiced. But how do you respond? How will you respond to the fourth commandment? Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Now one solution on offer, and I've, re- I've, I've heard this, it's, it's a discussion that I've been part of uh, many times, is it's, it's just a question of balance. Th- th- that's the solution that many will say. We just need to be balanced. In other words, not, not too much of this and, 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 and not too little of that. So just Try and manage this thing in a balanced way. Like, let the pendulum settle somewhere in the middle, avoiding harsh, legalistic restrictiveness, which some people are guilty of. And on the other hand, we want to extreme the, 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 liberty, the libertarian sort of doing as you like extreme on the other hand, and let this pendulum settle somewhere in the middle. I'm not convinced that that argument is valid. I'm not convinced that it is true. I personally, and I hope you too, are looking for something more than just rational pragmatism. We want something biblical. We want to understand what is it that God intended? What did God mean by giving this commandment? Why not just take the commandment at face value? 
That's what I'm going to try and examine this morning. There's no need for us to resort to tap dancing around the scriptures. Or perhaps for those who are more theologically minded, uh, become involved in hermeneutic acrobatics. So that we can eliminate and have an easy conscience when it comes to matters of the fourth commandment. Taking the fourth commandment at face value, I believe, provides us with much needed clarity for us. Day by day, week by week, as we live our lives as believers. And so, looking at this commandment this morning, it's the longest commandment, most uh, words in it. Alistair Big helped me understand it this week a little bit, and he says it can be divided into three parts. And I've added perhaps my understanding over here, and I'm going to run through quite quickly what would be the foundation of understanding this commandment at face value. So, number one, first part of this commandment provides us with an enduring principle. Verse 8. Verse 8 tells us what to do. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So in other words, here is an enduring principle. A principle that we need to know. It's a principle we need to remember. And the principle is there is something distinctive about this day that you ought to remember. That this one day is very specifically set aside different apart from the other days of the week. Quote John Murray, theologian, uh, he writes, he says, to obliterate the difference between the one day and the other six may appear pious. But then he asks the question, but it is not piety to be wiser than God, is it? It is impiety of the darkest hue. The Sabbath day, the one day, is different from every other day. And to obliterate this distinction in thought or practice is to destroy the essence of the institution. So you get the principle. There's six days. There's a certain uh, way of approaching those six days. And there's one day that makes up the week. And so recognizing the distinction of the day is therefore indispensable to the observance. You've got to get the fundamental principle in place. Number two, this is the second uh, part of, of this commandment. And I've called that an enduring pattern. You see, the difference that God has ordained for this day is a difference of specific kind. It's not just set apart as different. It's set apart to the Lord. Six days, where six days ought to occupy with the responsibilities of daily work and life. One day with concentrated focus and emphasis on God. Again, John Murray, the commandment provides the weekly pattern of having a one day break. Folk, there's such good counsel and usefulness of advice. Resting from the normal routine of duty of work, giving your undivided attention to God. Verse 9 goes on to say, Six days you shall labor 
do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And so it's not just designed as a day different. That's the principle. But the pattern, the pattern gives us how do you use this different day. It's about leaving all the six-day type activities which will be different for all of us. But we all have those activities. It's leaving those activities and not getting involved in them for one day. Inseparably linked then to giving attention and focus to God, devotion to him. And so, again, here's a sermon, and I couldn't do it. I couldn't say much about this, but uh, Hebrews chapter 4, of course, would, would, would help us. The key to keeping the Sabbath is not inactivity. It's not just sitting on your tail and doing nothing all day. It's, it's finding one's rest in the Lord and expressing that rest in that relationship you have with the Lord. And so released from, as I prayed even for, for young Luke this morning, because we've been released from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And therefore we are released into the worship and the glory and relationship with God. And it's different. John Murray again, he says, Therefore, distinguishing it, this one day, distinguish it, distinguishing it by exercises of worship and study and prayer and piety and acts of kindness and mercy. What is the justification for this pattern? And the justification is found in creation. The cycle of six days of work followed by the one day of rest rooted in this pattern established by God, having created the world in six days and resting on the seven. I discovered in my research that different nations at different stages have, have tried to uh, have a different design. Uh, Eight-day week or a four-day week or a six-day week. Everybody keeps coming back to seven-day week because people need to rest. If you work people seven days a week, every week, every month, every year, eventually their productivity drops. So, I mean, that's just pragmatic. But it shows you that built into the very creation is this reality that God created six for that and one for this. The last sentence in verse 11 tells us, that the Lord blessed this day of resting from our labors, made it holy. question I wondered about, well, if God blessed the day setting it apart from the other days, why should it be irksome to us? A challenging question. Well, there's a third element uh, to this commandment, and I hope I have found what I think is the right meaning. An enduring practice. This is where the difficulties emerge. And let's read the verse. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, the sojourner who is within your gates. So the the principle is established. One day is different. The pattern is established. Devotion to the Lord. But now what God does, and this is what I believe, the point of this principle is not to get involved in legalism, which is I'm going to speak about in a little while, but the point he's making, this is a principle that ought to be applied not just to you, but to everybody around you. 
In other words, parents, that means parents teaching and modeling the principle and pattern to your children. That means employers don't make demands on your staff and others that prohibit them from implementing this principle, this principle that God has given, this pattern that he has put in place of one day out of seven. Taking that which is applicable in our situation and how we can implement it. And so I want to move on now then to why is there so much opposition to the fourth commandment? Why, why, why do we make perhaps even so much fuss resisting, refusing to set aside one day out of seven to rest from our normal labors and give our undivided attention to God. Now, the only two points I'm going to raise, there probably are more one could raise, but I'm going to raise two. It may be, number one, that we misunderstand the commandment. Is it possible that you misunderstand the commandment? We certainly see, as we look at the New Testament, the Pharisees in Jesus' day had become experts at fabricating impossible burdens for others to carry. They were experts at creating legalistic demands. They included all sorts of trappings around this fourth commandment that were never intended by God. Quote an author by the name of Alfred Edersheim. He sounds Jewish. Speaking of these Pharisees, he says they entered into every detail of private, family, and public life. And with iron logic... Unbending rigor and most uh, minute analysis they pursued and dominated man, laying on him a yoke which was truly unbearable. That's not what God intended. This is man's effort again in, in his misunderstanding of the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God. I'll give you some examples. Did you know that they prescribed that you could ride a donkey on the Sabbath Provided you saddled it the night before. I've got a lot of examples, but the sermon is long, so I'm having to cut them out. You were allowed, you were allowed to dip a radish in salt, but you were not to leave it in too long as it might be pickling. That's work. If you found dirt on your dress, you could brush it off, but you could not rub it. I mean, it's ridiculous. You can see something of, of the, 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 the man-made fabrication that simply placed burdens on people that, that push them down instead of encourage them. And, and, and if you look back in history, not only in terms of the Jewish history, but even our own Christian history, thousands of sermons and pages have been written, devoted to a misunderstanding, missing the point. Along with so many generations and movements in Christendom, down through the ages, getting it wrong, plaguing people with misguided miseries, ending up with nothing more than Sheer legalism. Now, you know what the problem with legalism is, or what is the root of legalism? People are overloaded with external acts of people's own lawmaking, and the point is they're trying to advocate salvation by works. You do this, and God will do that. That's, that's, that's not salvation by grace. Salvation is of the Lord. And so salvation earned by the uh, a multiplicity of ridiculous works based on man-made laws is not God's design. 
It's not God's way of salvation. Religious leaders, said to say, uh, are prone to exploit people who have good intentions, but sometimes uninformed by real biblical interpretation and scripture, end up being loaded with man-made rules. People get fed up on the basis of this misunderstanding. And they throw the baby out with the bathwater. And I want us to keep the baby. Let's get rid of the bathwater. And maybe that's something we could think about today. I know many, many of you have it have had it shoved down your throats. Unless you refuse to buy bread and milk on a Sunday, or you refuse to swim on a Sunday, or take your dog for a work on a Sunday, and all you do on a Sunday is sleep, you're breaking the fourth commandment. That's not what the commandment is saying. Misguided miseries are a real obstacle in understanding the true meaning of this commandment the second reason another reason why we resist and refuse to set aside one day out of seven to rest from our normal labors and give our attention to God is that we're not in a good space spiritually I think this is really the real reason we had a dog once highly intelligent but very rebellious. If for some reason we got angry with that dog and he got a spanking or we rebuked him, he would look at us and he would go and do his business in the house (laughs) instead of the yard. It was almost as if this dog was saying to us, I'll show you, and he'll do exactly the opposite of what you wanted him to do. And folk, think about life, even amongst relationships with people. I've discovered this. We, we people can sometimes be like that dog. We won't do what certain people ask us to do. I'll show you. I'll do the exact opposite. In many instances, sadly... But perhaps less consciously, it applies to what God requires. You see, often we live out what Pharaoh said. Who is the Lord that I should obey him? For God requires a face value. I can't get around this. Why would he give us ten commandments and nine commandments are valid and one isn't? Face value. God requires that we believers establish a weekly pattern of having one day break and rest from normal routine and duty of work, giving your undivided attention to God. And I know what some of you are thinking, but you work on a Sunday as a pastor. And that's another sermon, because didn't Jesus say, if the cow falls into the ditch, you take it out? Or didn't David go into the temple and, and, and feed people? You know, on the, on the, so the... the, the there are more things that can be said about this particular commandment. But on face value, if we take it as it is, 
in the application and living of our lives, when we're cold in our walk with God, when we've wandered and become distant from him, and in, in reality there's a sense of rebellion, we are prone to dig our heels in, to do what we want and what we prefer, and not so much what God wants. And life is lived around convenience. The consequence of this rebellious spirit becomes evident over time. Physical and emotional burnout. Just take a minute and think about your own life. Think about people around you. It, it even has a physical effect on you if you don't follow the pattern or the principle. Spiritual barrenness. And often, not often, always, when people, when we are in a place of spiritual barrenness, we end up being miserable and unhappy. Especially when you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, and now you're in a place of, of, of distance from God. It's miserable. Refusing to obey God's command and give to God what requires, what he's worthy of, is really just disobedience. I don't think the solution, and I've said it already, is finding the halfway mark between misguided miseries of legalism or the hard-hearted rebellion of self-indulgence. There's an alternative. My third point this morning. Establishing a weekly pattern of rest and worship. Very practical. I really found it helpful reading what the prophet Isaiah has to say in chapter 58, where he hits the nail on the head. Much of the chapter he's speaking about fasting and the reasons why people do fast, but the reasons why they ought to fast. And then he gets on to the Sabbath and, and, and keeping the Sabbath day. And, and he identifies the fact that the, the folk had broken the Sabbath. And he says, uh, hang on, I want to get to that. A one-day break and rest from the normal routine and duty of work, giving under time, is actually a state of the heart, is the point that Isaiah is making. So this is what he says in verse 13. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own way or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly. Do you, do you get the point? I mean, there, there are two pathways. and the, it, it, it's, this, it's, the, it's this or it's there that we find the application. Then you shall delight in the Lord. And I'll make you ride on the heights of the earth. So there are two challenges that come to us from this Isaiah chapter 58 regarding uh, the way forward in establishing a weekly pattern of rest, you may need to repent. Sometimes when we are confronted with the word of God, we need to sit back and say, you know what, I've been wrong. I have been disobedient. I have, in the words of Isaiah, simply been governing my life according to doing my pleasure or seeking my own interests. Now, what does that mean? Well, it could mean breakfast and shopping at the mall. 
excuses, boating at the dam or pushing out some extra work or just doing anything you please. You see, folk, Isaiah is right. A cold heart will always be preoccupied with personal preference of going your own way. A cold heart will be distracted with empty chit-chat, talking idly. And so repentance, a turning, resolving to take a one-day break and rest. Tomorrow is Monday. Leave it for Monday. Leave Monday to Saturday. Give attention to your walk with God. And rather have as the governing principle that which is pleasing in obedience to God. You can track the history of Israel, if you know your Old Testament, and see that this commandment always, always, and I challenge you to check me out, always proved to be an effective barometer of Israel's spiritual relationship. I've seen that in my own life, and I've seen that as a pastor of a church. When Israel was in touch with God, and they sought to please God and delight in God, it was not difficult to keep one day. But when they gave up on that, it was evident that they were wandering from him. We have an example in the book of Nehemiah, we find the Jews in Jerusalem. Chapter 8, check it out. God intervened in a time of revival. What happened? They returned to the book. In other words, what is it that God says? What is it that God has revealed? What is it that God wants us to do? What is it that we need to know about God? So they returned to the word. They, can't, uh, you know, they, they, they could not get away from the fact that they had this hunger for the word of God. And then we go on to read, they made a resolution to avoid the distractions and misuse of foreign commercial activity on the Sabbath. Chapter 10, verse 31. If the peoples of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on the holy day. We're going to devote ourselves to God one day, the Sabbath day. And so this morning, this is a tough sermon, another tough sermon, I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. Uh, I, want to, I want to urge you, okay, I want to urge you, be brutally honest. Brutally honest with yourself and the sake, for the sake of your soul. That's actually what this is about. It isn't just a matter of missing a Sunday service. It's bigger than that. It's a matter of disobedience, self-indulgence, priorities. You know, people tell me they're busy. And I know, we're all busy. But the question is, where do you place your priorities? That's the issue. It's priority. So we do need, and this morning is a good opportunity at the Lord's table, just to stop and examine and think, and if necessary, turn and, and, and make decisions. Uh, and I promise you, this is the truth of God. When you repent from self-indulgent ways, the joy of the Lord will be your strength. There is no better place to be. The Lord, the Lord, my flesh and my heart may fail, but the Lord is my portion for it. It's the only place we actually find true delight. 
Which is my second point. You will find delight in God. I remember, any of you were around in 2010, uh, our church got involved in uh, the World Cup soccer outreach because of Arcadia campus being close to Loftus. I remember during the World Cup, one of my sons deliberately went to bed early to wake up at midnight to watch certain soccer matches. I saw some head shaking here. Can you be so stupid? Some of you would say he's crazy. Others of you may have done the same thing. What's the difference between the two groups? You see, there's some among us who love and delight in the game of soccer. And others couldn't care. What's the difference? You see, that same principle is true when it comes to the fourth commandment. You either take delight in God... Or you don't. God shows us this in. Do go and read Isaiah 58 if you have a chance in Israel. If you repent in matters regarding self indulgent habits, then, verse 14, you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with heritage, the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. After my conversion, after my conversion to Christ, I thought I was a Christian. And then God showed me I wasn't a Christian. And he saved me. Sunday became my favorite day of the week. And if there are teenagers, as a teenager, 16-year-old boy, I loved Sundays. It was a change. I love to go to Sunday school. I still remember two of my Sunday school teachers, uh, Willie Vivian, he taught me so much. Hungry for the word of God. Remember Robin Dodsworth, a Sunday school teacher. Couldn't wait to get to his class. And I loved listening to the preaching of God's word. You see, once Jesus saved me and made me a new creature in Christ, and I think many of you have similar stories. Priorities and emphases change. And so my concluding comment this morning is resolving to take a one-day break and rest from normal routine and duty work, giving attention to God is actually a hot matter. That's why I couldn't stand the teaching of Mr. Richards and the preaching of Tommy Wilson. And I'm so sorry because I've heard of others from that era who told me that Tommy Wilson was one of the best Baptist expositors in the Baptist Union. But me, in my blindness, never benefited from that. So me not liking Mr. Richards and escaping the preaching of Reverend Wilson was not a problem with them. The problem was with me. Unregenerate heart. And so as we conclude this morning, the pattern of life around the Lord's day has everything to do with our hearts. And we do need to ask from time to time, do you need, do I need some heart repair? I've come to see, and I've mentioned this a few times, especially amongst those of us who've been Christians for a long time. 
It's not just the unregenerate, but it's sometimes those of us who have been Christians for 40 and 50 years that become stale. And we lose the delight in walking with God. That can change if you come and confess that to God. Repenting from it, turning in attitude, resolving to go forward with God's help, with God's spirit. Not just on Sundays, but giving yourself to God. Just thought of a song, Jamie, that we could have sung this morning. I don't even know where you're sitting. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. And I do pray that, Lord, help us as a people in our walk with you. Lord, all of us need to continue to grow. We struggle with the remaining marks of sin. We struggle, Lord, with pleasing self. And so help us more and more to delight in you. Won't you captivate our hearts even afresh this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.